And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. This your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Van Johnson stars in a good drama on the General Electric Theater from 1951. Then Shelley Winters makes a guest appearance on a comedy episode of Duffy's Tavern starring Ed Archie Gardner. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. Hey, what's happening in Hollywood? So this is great news for everybody who's a fan of the Broadway show Hamilton, Oh, which would be me, yeah, of course. Not me. So, well, this might be your opportunity, Carl, because Why? Hamilton might hit the movie theaters in 2020. I won't be going. Okay, now here's the deal. Okay, leave your mind open. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most successful stage performances of the century. Okay, estimated to be earning over a hundred million dollars per year. Now that I now won't. that's huge for a Broadway show. You got to yeah. understand that. Okay, so the movie rights are it's up like your pay. Yeah, it's very similar. similar. Very similar. The movie rights are up for grabs around fifty million dollars. But mm-hmm. here's the thing. Okay, they're not Mere selling. Mere bag of change for you. Yeah, that's nothing. So I'm thinking about buying them. But here's the thing: they're not going to sell the rights to make an adaptation. It's the rights to a high quality recording of the Broadway show Hamilton that was taken in 2016 with Lin Manuel Miranda. Uh-huh. So they're, see what I'm saying? Yeah, they're going to so make a movie out of the Broadway Right, it's the play. original cast, so you can, you can go to an the original movie and set, see it. and you can actually see the Broadway show, but they're not going to do it until 2020, because until then, they want everybody to go out and see the show. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. I can see how excited you are. I am. Yeah, you are. I can see how excited you are. I'm just... Uh, well, you're I in the minority. can't even control my uh, All right, you're, you're, you're no fun. Lump on a log. <laughs> Mike, does that sound interesting to you? I guess it sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean, if really? you didn't have the opportunity to see the show, this is your chance. You know, yeah. I want to see the show. My wife has actually seen the show. Right. I haven't seen it yet. All right. So we'll see what Gee, happens. I'll give you both uh, one guess. Think I've seen the show? Not interested. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Lisa Wolf. Sure, Carl. All right. It is time now for the General Electric Theater. This was a dramatic anthology program. And in 1953, it hit the airwaves. It featured top stars uh, in dramatizations of famous films and stories. Cary Grant, Irene Dunn, William Holden, William Powell, Joan Fontaine, Dana Andrews. And in this particular episode, we have Van Johnson. It featured radio's top director, Norman MacDonald, at the helm with Wilbur Hatch providing the music. This particular episode is called The Old Man's Bride. It's from October 1st, 1951, part one now of the General Electric Theater. The General Electric Theater. Tonight starring Mr. Van Johnson. This is Ken Carpenter welcoming you to the General Electric Theater, presented by the makers of famous, dependable kitchen and home laundry appliances, General Electric. 
Tonight we bring you Mr. Van Johnson and Sigmund Bird's The Old Man's Bride. The tale of one man wooing a maid for another has always been a universal favorite, and it's been told in many ways by many people. Several weeks ago, we presented one version in the famous play Cyrano de Bergerac, and tonight we are bringing you transcribed another, Sigmund Bird's charming and unforgettable romance, The Old Man's Bride, starring Van Johnson. And now, the first act of The Old Man's Bride, starring Mr. Van Johnson. It was a fine spring day in the year 1844, about the time Texas was negotiating a treaty of annexation with the United States of the North. A few years back, Colonel DeWalt and I had fought together in a war to take Texas away from Mexico, and then we'd retired to the Colonel's Caney Plantation on the Brazos River, where we now lived like a couple of Aztec kings. Well, on this day, it was about noon when I rode up from the prairie fields to the big house, and I found the Colonel sitting in a willow chair in the gallery, as was his habit before dinner. Hello, Henry. Colonel, you sent for me, sir? Yes. I want you to go down to New Orleans with Captain Santos. There's a special item I want you to fetch me back on the return voyage. When will the brig sail? We ought to finish loading tomorrow, sir. What was it you wanted from New Orleans? A wife. What particular kind, Colonel? Jack, Bowie, Penn, Dirk, Butcher? I didn't say knife, you young clown. I said wife. What? Close your mouth. I can see clean to your gullet. But, but, Colonel, I don't... Be quiet and risk. Henry, I'm in the prime of life and lonely. This house needs a woman. But none of these sun-baked, corn-fed women. I want a beauty, a sure enough good looker with at least a smidgen of common sense. Are you serious, sir? Of course I am. You pick her and I'll marry her. Savvy? The colonel was a handsome man. Big, red-haired, with muscles like a draft horse. There was only a little gray in his hair and none in his beard. You'd never guess he'd turn 50. But he was never a man for dalliance. He was a man's man, as the boys he'd led in action could tell you. And I was with him in those places. Well, Henry, do you understand? No, sir. I don't savvy a man sending another man to fetch him a wife. Why not? Don't you buy my clothes, my tobacco, everything for me? Well... Have I ever complained? No, sir, but this is a bit different. Henry, I trust you completely. You've never made a mistake for me, except that time at San Jacinto when you joined in the charge while you were supposed to be guarding our rear. That was the only time you ever disobeyed my order. I'm sorry, Colonel. You should be. It would have cost me my life if you hadn't ridden back in time. I've never regretted saving your life, Henry. But I do think sometimes I've made you too much a part of me. How old are you now? About 26, sir. I don't know for sure. A uh, man's age. Do you ever think of marrying? Sometimes I do, Colonel. But usually I'm too busy to give it much thought. Too busy? Look, Henry, it's true that you've improved this plantation more than anybody else could possibly do. Except maybe me. Thank you, sir. But don't you know that next to me, you're the best catch in Texas, my boy? You're more than just my overseer. You're a landowner in your own right. And when I die, you'll get a share of Caney. You're a man of importance, Henry, and reasonably good-looking, besides. It hasn't done me any good so far, sir. It will, when the time comes. Well, let's go into dinner now. I'll tell you more about this business of picking me a wife. Early next morning, we rode down to the DeWalt warehouse landing at Velasco, where the hands were loading the colonel's brig, the Mariposa, with bales of cotton and hogsheads of sugar and bundles of hides. The colonel and I dismounted and went directly aboard. 
Captain Santos and Fresh Whites greeted us warmly and gave Colonel DeWalt an ingratiating leer. Oh, I hope I can be of assistance in this delicate matter, sir. I hope the young Senor Markham here will not hesitate to call upon me for counsel. And Markham will take care of it by himself, Skipper. Oh, certainly, sir. I only he has a list of supplies to be bought in New Orleans, and you can help him with that. But keep out of what you call this delicate matter, savvy? Of course, Colonel. Henry, you sure you understand everything? You have the letter from President Houston, the notices from the newspaper? Yes, sir. They're all safe in my money belt. Well, Henry, this is the most important mission you've ever undertaken for me. I know I can trust you. Of course you can, sir. God be with you, my boy. I'll bid you goodbye now. I'll do my best, Colonel. Goodbye, sir. A week later, we came in tow into the great noisy harbor of New Orleans and found a mooring at the foot of Bienville Street. I went ashore at once, stopped by the newspaper office to leave the notices advertising for the colonel's bride, and then took a suite at the St. Charles Hotel. By noon next day, I had received some 20 applicants, only one of which seemed at first to meet with qualifications. One was a lovely Creole girl with a face like a rose, but she was accompanied by a doer and aged uncle. Perhaps you do not realize, Monsieur Markham, my niece here is not only beautiful, but a creature of many talents. Is that not so, Yvonne? Ah, she's so shy, this girl. Modesty is a virtue in women, sir. I must admit, monsieur, it is only the impoverished condition of my family that has persuaded me to part with my niece. I don't quite follow you, sir. First, there is the price. How much do you think your colonel is willing to pay? Sir, Colonel DeWalt does not intend to buy a wife. Any woman should jump at the chance to marry a man from the Republic of Texas. But think of our family, monsieur. We have been poor so long, and to lose our little flower, our Yvonne... If you please, sir, the interview is at an end. We have nothing to discuss. My apologies to you, miss. Come, Yvonne. Good day, monsieur. Goodbye. You're next, miss. Come in. Sit down, please. Your name? I'm Miss Fanny Langton. Do you recognize my name, Mr. Markham? I seem to, but I'm not quite sure where... I'm playing at the American Theater. The Lady and the Devil, you know. I'm cast as the lady. <laughs> of course. But I've never been to the theater. I must have seen your name in the newspaper. Uh, are you a famous actress? Oh, heavens no. I'm not even a very good one. And I'm sure I'll never be famous. It's just that the theater is all I know. My father was an actor, and he died poor and unhappy. I see. I'm not as young as I look, either. And I think I'd rather be the wife of a Texas planter than an aging and mediocre actress. Tell me, how old is Colonel DeWalt? Uh, he's 52, but you'd never know it. Over there is a portrait of him I brought along if you'd care to look at it. Oh, he has a good face. Well, I can see of it. But that beard... Do you suppose he could be persuaded to part with it? I can't imagine a colonel without his beard. But what can one really tell about a man with a full beard? Colonel DeWald is the finest man I ever knew. And I knew General Austin. I know President Houston and General Mirabeau Lamar. Mm-hmm. And of those four, how many wore beards? Well, uh, come to think of it, only Colonel DeWalt. There. You see? And now thank you, Mr. Markham. I'll think it over and let you know. Goodbye. Uh, yes, of course. Goodbye, Miss Langton. She was a lovely creature, Fanny Langton, but her directness was disconcerting, and anyway, I knew the colonel would never stand for taking off his beard. Next morning, there was business to attend to and supplies to be bought. 
I went out and got as far as Banks Arcade, where I noticed a large crowd gathered in front of a drug and medicine store. A tall gentleman in a silk hat was standing on a dais delivering a lecture, and next to him was the loveliest girl I'd ever seen. There was a sweetness about her, a clean, radiant eagerness. She was like a Texas girl who'd stayed in the shade and never tasted cornbread. I pushed my way through the throng. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you see before you the assistant, Miss Olivia Standifer, formerly of Mobile, Alabama. This lovely child is the living proof of the wondrous powers of Dr. Castillo's celebrated anti-scarbutic and restorative compound. It cures, ladies and gentlemen, it cures consumption, tenesmus, yentry, diseases caused by the scarbutic virus, wasting diseases, blood tumors, slow, intermittent, and continual fevers. Would you believe that this beautiful girl, less than six months ago, was a poor, sickly creature with scarcely enough strength to lift the dasher of a churn. Well, me friends, it's the gospel truth. And what produced this miraculous change? I'll tell you. I'll take a hundred bottles, Doctor. Oh, did you did you say a, a hundred, sir? I did. But I'll expect a reasonable discount, of course. Certainly, sir. Miss Olivia, will you conduct this gentleman into the store and fill his order? Charge him the wholesale price. Follow me, sir. Yes, friends, I discovered this amazing formula while serving as personal surgeon to the king's The wholesale discount is 50%, sir. A hundred bottles would be exactly $50 and no charge for drage in the city. You want them delivered, I expect? If you will. Send them to the Brig Mariposa, Santos Master, foot of B&B Street. Issue the receipt to me, Henry Markham of Caney Plantation, Brasoria County, Republic of Texas. Yes, sir. I want to thank you, Mr. Markham, for getting me a raise of wages. I don't understand. Well, when I read about you in the newspapers, I told Dr. Castillan he'd have to pay me $10 a month more, or I'd go straight to the St. Charles Hotel and promise to marry this rich planter out in Texas. Uh, Tell me, Miss Olivia... Would you have done it? Oh, no. After all, your colonel, what's-his-name, wouldn't have me. Ah, you're wrong. He'd have you, all right. But but I'm nobody. Tell me, what's he like, this colonel you work for? Colonel DeWalt is the finest man that ever breathed, Mr. Livia. Where'd you meet him? Oh, I was a sergeant of volunteers in his own company. And then in the spring of 36, he made me a platoon leader. That's when we stopped running and turned back to face Santa Ana's armies at San Jacinto. Were you wounded? Yes, a piece of grape hit me. And Colonel DeWall saved my life. Oh, no wonder you're grateful to him. But what happened afterward, after the war? Well, he took me to Caney with him. It wasn't much then. The house had been burned and the stock was gone. The fields lay ruined. But you built it all up again. Yes. The Colonel made me his overseer and treated me like an only son. I worked hard for him, but... Now we've got everything we need. Caney Plantation is worth millions. Ah, he must be a wonderful man, Mr. Markham. You couldn't love him the way you do, because I'm sure you're good. Miss Olivia, I don't know what to say, except that the colonel would be fortunate to have you as his wife and mistress of Caney Plantation. How soon could we leave for Texas? Then you'll come? Yes, Mr. Markham, if you want me to. We'll leave as soon as you're ready. I still have some business to attend to, but this afternoon we'll go out and buy you a trousseau. Anything you like. Whenever you say. 
Uh, President Houston and General Mirabeau Lamar will be guests at the wedding. Oh, how wonderful. Then uh, can you meet me at the St. Charles Hotel at one o'clock? I'll be there. You've solved a great problem for me, Miss Olivia. I'm glad, Mr. Marker. The next night, Miss Olivia Standifer and I had supper aboard Colonel DeWalt's brig, and I must say that Olivia was even more beautiful than when I had first seen her. I watched her in her new gray traveling suit and thought how pleased the colonel would be with his bride. Everything was fine, and maybe it would have come off as planned, but for the storm that overtook us the second day at sea. Olivia and I were sitting in the main saloon about midday. Does the colonel ever go to New Orleans himself, Henry? Oh, very seldom anymore. He prefers to stay in the plantation. Why? I just thought it might grow lonely there. It sounds so wild and far away. Yes, I suppose it is. Especially if you're used to great cities like New Orleans and all the other places you've been. One can be lonely in cities too, Henry. I never thought much about being lonely. (laughs) Tell me something. Of course. Are all the men in the Republic of Texas as self-sufficient as you are? (laughs) That isn't it, Olivia. It's just that I've been too busy to worry much about myself. And are you happy? Oh, happy as any man in my position? There, now, that's just what I mean. You're self-sufficient. You don't need anything more than you've got. I'm tolerably well off for a young man. I wasn't speaking of wealth or power or anything like that, Henry. What then? People. Why, there are all kinds of people at Caney. Women? A few of the hands are married. Are there any unmarried women at Caney? No, no, I don't believe there are. Unless you count children. I'm not counting children, Henry. Some of the hands have children. (laughs) Oh, dear. What? You, that's what. Have I offended you? Of course not. You don't even know what I'm talking about. You were talking about being lonely at Caney. I was trying to talk about you being lonely at Caney. But I'm not. I know. That's the whole trouble with you. Why? Is it, is it good to be lonely? No, it's bad, but it's worse to be lonely and not even know you are. Me? Yes, you. Why do you work so hard? Why is your whole life taken up with running a plantation? Why do you never think of anything but that in the war? I'll tell you why. Because you're afraid to do anything else or, or to think of anything else. Now, why should I be afraid of that? Because then you'd discover how lonely you really are. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Of course you haven't. Well, it's no use starting now, though. Why? Well, supposing I discovered, as you say, how lonely I am. Then I'd just be unhappy. Henry, you're the only Texan I've ever known. But if they're all like you, the race is doomed to extinction. You're off again? Just when I think I understand you, you suddenly change horses. I'll make it very simple. If being lonely makes you unhappy, why don't you stop being lonely? Now, that's clear enough, isn't it? Oh, you mean get married? Yes, I mean get married. Why didn't you say so? I tried. Well, I'm not going to get married. Why not? Of course, I do have 7,000 acres of Brasso's River bottomland the colonel gave me, and I'm thinking of building a house there. A house? Then you are going to get married. I can't get married, Olivia. Why can't you? All the women at Caney are babies, or they're already married. Is Caney the only place in the world where there are women... What did the colonel do when he wanted a wife? Yes, I suppose I could go to New Orleans again. But you won't. No, I won't. If I ever get married, it'll have to be somebody I already know, Olivia. Like you. Like me? Well, I didn't mean that. I I meant like you, for example. Oh. You're already married, practically. And if I weren't? 
I'd never have met you. I only went to New Orleans to find the Colonel a bride. I wouldn't have gone there otherwise. Henry, you have a lot to learn about women. I suppose. But you see, I never knew any. I've spent all my life just with men and horses and guns. I don't suppose I'm very civilized, really. You're more civilized than you know. Senor Markham. Oh, hello, Captain. Oh, Senor, I came to tell you that we are running into a storm. How bad a storm? There will be no danger, but it will be rough for a day, maybe two. How exciting. I love storms. There's no way to avoid it, Captain. I'm afraid not, Senor. But, Henry, you're not afraid of a storm, are you? I'm strictly a fair-weather sailor, Olivia. I belong on the land, not on a ship. And I don't do too well in a rough sea. Oh, yes. Poor Senor Markham. When do you expect the storm, Captain? Oh, in a couple of hours, we'll run into the edge of it. Well, let's go on deck, Olivia. I won't be much company for you once it begins. That's the first portion of the General Electric Theater. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to the General Electric Theater. By evening, the brig was riding on her beam ends, and I had become ill. However, Olivia insisted on nursing me herself. Hour after hour, she sat in my cabin, and it was wonderful to have her tender sympathy. The storm lasted three days, and when it was over, I was finally able to sit up in my bunk and sip broth held in the strong, fair hand of the girl I had chosen to be the colonel's bride. Henry, did you really believe what he said about me, Dr. Castillon? <laughs> oh, Henry, in some ways you're like a little boy. A dear little boy. <laughs> Yet you're a man, too. Good, wonderful man. Olivia, there's something I must tell you. Yes, Henry? Something's happened that I didn't quite figure on. I know. You know? But how could Because you? Because it's happened to me, too. Oh, Olivia. Me? You're so beautiful and sweet and good. For you. For you, maybe I am. I never expected to fall in love, Olivia. No, nor I, ever. Oh, Henry. I hope I'm worthy of you. 
You? Worthy of me? But I... I'm such a nobody. You're important to me, Olivia. Even more important than Colonel DeWalt. Oh! Oh, the Colonel. What? What is it? Colonel DeWalt, you're his. No, I'm not. I'm yours now. But, Olivia... It was meant to be this way, Henry, from the very moment we met. You know that. We can't do this to him. You understand, don't you? After all he's done for me. But, Henry, you've done a great deal for him, too. You've worked hard and built up the plantation for him. And you've lived like his son and kept him from loneliness. Loneliness. That's why he sent me to pick you out for him. So you failed him this once. I know. But I... he'll understand. He must. No, Olivia. Colonel DeWalt's a good man, but he's as hard as stone about some things. When he gives an order, for example, it must be obeyed. He's good, but he can be a tiger. Are you afraid of him, Henry? Oh, of course not. It isn't that. Don't you see? He, he trusts and me. And what about me? You'd give me to your colonel? No, no, I can't do that either. Of course not. Henry. What? I wouldn't marry Colonel DeWalt now under any circumstances. But Olivia... If you won't have me, I'll return to New Orleans. I'll go back with Dr. Castillo. You can't do that. I won't have it. And I won't marry Colonel DeWalt. But you promised. Henry, you're giving me away again. Don't you love me at all? Oh, of course I do, yes. I, I don't know what I'm saying. Well, there's only one thing to do. What? I'm going to see Captain Santos. We'll be married at once aboard ship. All right, Henry. If we're already married, it'll be over and done with, you see. It'll be a fact. And the colonel's used to facing facts. Um, Henry, you've forgotten something. What have I forgotten? You haven't asked me to marry you yet. Captain, I want to ask you a favor. Certainly, Senor Markham, certainly. We'll be in Velasco by noon tomorrow. And only a little bit worse for wear, not so? This is a serious thing I'm asking of you, Captain Santos. Of course, senor. Please tell me. It concerns Miss Olivia. Ah, and may I congratulate you, senor. She's so beautiful. Colonel DeWalt will be very proud. You've done a great job, senor. Wait, Captain. This concerns Miss Olivia and me. Well, I do not quite understand, senor. Captain, I have a terrible problem. I love Miss Olivia, and she loves me. What? We want you to marry us. Senor, have you gone mad? Not at all. We want you to marry us now, at once. But, senor, I, I could not do that to the colonel. Oh, you bring me a tragedy. I cannot marry you. It is impossible. Why is it impossible? The colonel, I could not face him, senor. And you refuse? Please, senor Markham, I cannot marry you. Miss Olivia must be delivered to the colonel, along with the other items he sent for. I'll be responsible for that, Captain. Oh, if it were anything else, anything at all, senor. All right, all right, Captain. Good day. Good day, senor. No, Henry, there's only one honorable thing to do. Yes, I know. We'll just have to face the colonel and tell him the truth. I won't marry anyone but you, so he's really not losing anything. We'll tell him, and then we'll go away somewhere and start life all over. We'll be poor, Olivia. I'll give him back my land. You won't have any fine clothes or servants or even a house. Oh, I've been poor all my life. It won't matter. But I'll make it up to you somehow. Maybe someday the colonel will forgive you, Henry. He can't be that cold-hearted. He'll never forgive me. I'm sorry for that, but I have you. We'll make a go of it somehow. I slept little that night. And the next morning, we sighted the Velasco shoreline and began beating up toward the mouth of the Brazos River. Soon, too soon, we were docked at the DeWalt warehouse. And I nervously searched the faces on shore for the colonels, but I couldn't find it. Suddenly, though, I saw something that astonished me. I saw Fanny Langton, late of the American Theater in New Orleans... There was a gentleman beside her, but he was a stranger to me. 
As soon as we'd made fast, I conducted Olivia down the plank, and when we reached the wharf, it was the stranger with Fanny Langton who was the first to greet me. Henry, my boy, welcome home. We feared you were lost at sea. Thank God you're safe. Colonel DeWalt, I scarcely recognize you. What's happened to your beard, sir? Ah, uh, my beard is of no consequence. A great deal more than that's happened, my boy. A great deal, indeed. And uh, who's the lady with you? Aren't you going to introduce her? Oh, yes, yes, of course. My dear, this is Colonel DeWalt, Miss Olivia Standifer. Your humble servant, Miss Standifer. How do you do, Colonel? Fanny, come here. You and Olivia must know each other. How do you do, Olivia? And Henry, it's good to see you again. Oh, I, I mean, of course, Fanny. I hope you'll forgive me for coming ahead on the packet. Yes, certainly. You uh, missed the storm that way, didn't you? I didn't know there was going to be a storm. Uh... Colonel, there's something I've got to tell you. We'll talk business later, Henry. I wonder what Houston will think of me without my beard. What happened to your beard, sir? My wife made me shave it off, insisted on it. Didn't you, Fanny, my bride? I certainly did, dear. I certainly did. General Electric Theater has bought you The Old Man's Bride, starring Mr. Van Johnson. Featured in tonight's cast were John McIntyre, Nestor Paiva, Edgar Barrier, Jeanette Nolan, Dan O'Herlihy, and Mary Jane Croft. Old Man's Bride by Sigmund Bird, adapted by John Meston, was presented by arrangement with Columbia Pictures Incorporated, producers of From Here to Eternity, starring Burt Lancaster, Montgomery Cliff, Deborah Carr, Donna Reed, and Frank Sinatra. Our music was by Wilbur Hatch. General Electric Theater is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. America now listens to 110 million radio sets and listens most to the CBS radio network. And that's the General Electric Theater from October 1st, 1951, with The Old Man's Bride, starring Van Johnson. And do you have any guess as to who the sponsor of this show might have been? Oh, gosh, no. I can't imagine. Can't imagine, No, right? nothing Gee. falls into my brain. Uh, me neither. Maybe it was um, Edison. Oh. Uh, could be. Could be. Or yeah. it could be yeah. General or Electric. Could be, yeah. Could be. Heard on CBS. Hope you like that. Well, before we tune into Duffy's Tavern, I want to remind all of our listeners that we have a free app. It's 10 classic radio shows on our free app. It's called the Classic Radio Shows app. And all you have to do to get it is go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com. Scroll down a little bit, and there's a banner. Read all about it. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app. It has uh, 10 free Classic Radio Shows and many more shows for in-app purchase. But you get 10 free, and the app is free, too. So go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com. And download your free app. All right, it's time now for Duffy's Tavern. This is one of my favorite classic radio shows. It's one of the most hilarious comedy shows to ever hit the airwaves. Came to radio in 1940. Now, Duffy's Tavern was a flea-infested dive on 3rd and 23rd Streets in New York City where the elite meet to eat. Ed Archie Gardner was the star, and he was the manager of the tavern. Duffy was the absentee owner. And the man-hungry daughter of uh, Duffy was Miss Duffy, played originally by Shirley Booth, then Florence Halep, and later Sandra Gould. Other regulars in the cast were Eddie the Waiter, Clancy the Cop, 
And uh, they always had guest stars. And on this particular episode, we have Shelly Winters as our guest star. So let's go back to February 9th, 1951. Part one now of Duffy's Tavern. It's Duffy's Tavern, the Friday night transcribed feature on NBC's all-star festival of comedy, music, mystery, and drama. And now here we go, friends, to Duffy's Tavern with our guest, Shelley Winters, and starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. Hello, Duffy's Tavern. What are you late, mate? Deed, Archie, to mind you speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. You sound mad. What's wrong? When you answered the doorbell this morning, you was wearing Mrs. Duffy's bathrobe. Well, what's wrong with that? The milkman kissed you, huh? <laughs> well, what happened? Did you slug the guy? Oh, if he's been kissing Mrs. Duffy, he's had punishment enough. <laughs> you still mad? You think you'll come down here to cool off? Duffy. Tonight, the tavern ain't no place to cool off. <laughs> Shelly Winters is coming down. Yeah, Winters is the name, Duffy, but it really should be Summers, you know. <laughs> the way she raises a guy's temperature. <laughs> what she look like? Uh, well, you know, I told you about the temperature, and uh, with the sweat pouring down into your eyes, you can't get a good look. <laughs> She's a very versatile dame, Duffy, you know. She acts on a stage, she's in the movies, and sings in musical comedies, and she's packed to the hilt with talent. <laughs> Brother, what a hilt. <laughs> also a sensational pair of gams. <laughs> yes, sir, with them legs, she's made more successful crossings than Pan American Airways. <laughs> Well, look, I got work to do, Duffy. I'll call you back. Oh, Yasha. Yasha. Where is that Yasha Pena Slavnik? How do you do? <laughs> Tell me, Yasha, did, uh, yes? did any letters or mail come in today? Like an avalanche. Oh. Well, let me see the mail. Hey. Hey, these personal letters of mine. They've been opened. I can read them closed. <laughs> yes, it might have been personal correspondence from a dame, you know. I don't want you to be reading me private mail. Okay, my boss. Or may I call you Cuddles? <laughs> but opening somebody else's letters, how can you do such a thing? How? Yeah. Susie, I am holding them over a tea kettle. <laughs> by the by. Here is one letter that I'm thinking you will find extremely interesting. What, uh, Billy Do from a female admirer? No, Billy Do Overdue from the gas company. <laughs> oh, uh, what does it say? Unless you pay your bill immediately, you will hear from our attorneys. Yeah, throw it away. What's the next letter? From their attorneys. <laughs> Well, they can't scare me into paying their dirty bills. If I don't pay them, what can they do to me? What's the next letter? It's from Sing Sing. 
Well, at last, some social correspondence. Well, it's from my old friend Nitro McNulty. Oh, what did he say? What did he say? Let me see. Dear Archie, planning to escape. Meet me outside of Main Wall in automobile and bring my wife. Signed, Nitro. P.S. Bring along another girl for me. Signed, the warden. Well, leave us get to the next letter. I wonder who this is from. Man. It's from, uh, from Peaches Latour Striptease. But you didn't open it. How do you know it's from Peaches Latour Striptease? The stamp is peeling off. <laughs> Give me that letter. Let's see. Hey, I'm wrong. It ain't a letter. It's a valentine. A valentine! Hey, let's see. Love to you, my sweetheart mine. Will you be my valentine? I'll be yours if you'll be mine. To you from me, from swine to swine. It does not say that, Yashi. I'm afraid you're just jealous. Me jealous? Me jealous? <laughs> I am also having a girl writing me letters. Writing you letters? Yes. Every day she is wanting to see me. She is calling me on the telephone. She is writing me letters, always wanting to see me. Fortunately, I put a stop to it. How? I let her see me. That's one way of killing the goose. Now, uh, let me see. Who could have sent this valentine? Uh, oh, Miss Duffy. Yes, Archie. Miss Duffy, did you send me a valentine? Isn't there a name on it? No, no signature. It's just uh, unanimous. <laughs> let me see. Hmm. Looks like some dame is out to marry me, but... She's too ashamed to sign her name. Archie, you're being silly. A valentine like that ain't being personal. What do you mean? Look at it. It's printed. If so, a marriage license is just printed, too. <laughs> Facto, don't tell me about dames. All they ever think about is getting married. Believe me, I made a study of them. Then how come you keep taking them out? Research. <laughs> But they ain't gonna get all odds. Believe me, I've seen too many horrible results from marriage. Uh, hello, Arch. Perfect example. Hiya, Finnegan. Uh, oh, top tip. Top tip. That's tip top. I know, but I'm feeling a little backward today. Well, that's normal. Uh, let's... let's see. Who could have sent that valentine? You got a valentine, Arch? Yeah, it seems there's a dame in love with me. Love? Yeah, love. Love? Well, you know what love is, don't you? Well, I know it has something to do with dames, but from there on, I ain't too clear. <laughs> well, I'll try to explain it. You see, Finnegan, in biology, uh, there's two kinds of genders, you see. Uh, men and women. I assume you know what marriage is. Oh, Sure. That's what you got to have before you get a divorce. Yeah. Well, that's one school of thought. But uh, to put it more succinctly, uh, marriage is, uh, well, it's uh, sort of a friendship that gets loused up. <laughs> now, Frenigan, the point of this talk is I want you to promise me, if you, 
ever see a dame getting me in a clutch? Yeah? Unclutch me. <laughs> Break it up. You know, help me use me willpower. I certainly will, Arch. Thanks. You don't think I'm going to let a dame come between us? <laughs> How does it feel to be an idiot? Well, not too bad, Arch. The trouble is the hours are so long. Leave us quit this nonsense talk now. Now, who could have sent this valentine? Maybe I better forget about it. Shelly Winters will be coming down here any minute. Shelly Winters. Humph! And what's the humph? Well, not that I want to take anything away from Shelly Winters. Go ahead. Take it away. You need it more than she does. Is she's been a very lucky girl. You should be rolling the same pair of dice. <laughs> what do you mean, lucky? She's got brains and beauty and talent. Yeah, but where would that get her if Edison hadn't invented motion pictures? You call that lucky? What else? Look, Archie, be honest. Yeah. Suppose a movie producer needs a star for a picture and he has to choose between Shelley Winters and me. Who does he pick? Shelly Winters. There you are. It's a 50-50 chance and she wins. (laughs) And you don't call that luck? Believe me, one screen test and I'd have Ray Milan and Clark Gable chasing me, too. What a baseball bat. (laughs) You would have Ray Milan and Clark Gable chasing you. They wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot Louisville slugger. And if you think you're so hot, why don't you try to get into the movies? What? Have men bothering me morning, noon, and night? (laughs) (laughs) Men bothering you? That's bad? Frankly, I'm bored with men. Oh, no. This from a dame that sits in the front row at circuses waiting for a human cannonball to overshoot the mark. (laughs) (laughs) Get her bored with men. Arch, is this dame annoying you? Yeah, very much. Well, read it, sister. This man has already been spoken for. And that's the first portion of Duffy's Tavern, starring Ed Archie Gardner and special guest Shelley Winters from 1951. We'll have more of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hey fans of Classic Radio, Carl Amari here. I've created a free app just for you. Get 10 Classic Radio shows free in the Classic Radio Shows app. Plus, there are many more shows available for in-app purchase. You can get your free Classic Radio Shows app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The easiest way to get your free app is to log on to Hollywood360radio.com and scroll down to the Classic Radio Shows app banner and click either the Google link or the Apple link. Don't miss out. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app today. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Well, next time, it's the conclusion to Duffy's Tavern from 1951 with special guest Shelley Winters. Then, Nick Carter, Master Detective, starring Lon Clark. We have a great show for you next time. Don't miss it. We'll see you then. 